0: What else did everybody do past week? I didn't program, so I'm just like vicariously waiting for you to say something like, "Oh man, did this awesome coding thing this week?" Nah, no. I started (laughs)
1: working on a side iOS project to try and like write a full app in Swift without a tutorial. Doing iOS
0: versus a Mac. I guess you want to be closer to the the Apple Watch framework, WatchKit.
1: Yeah, well, I'm trying to write, so I'm trying to write an app and then I'll write an Apple Watch thing, like just like a side project so that like, I could maybe ship a personal app when the Apple Watch is available. And so I'm, it could be like, one of the first apps that has an Apple Watch part. That's cool. I mean, I'm sure many people are doing the same thing. But... So
2: you're into iOS now?
1: Yeah, I think I might be.
2: How about those Android devices?
1: I mean, you know I love Android. Okay. Like, I use Android as my phone. Um, iOS is just interesting to program in. And uh, people pay you money, I understand, if you make stupid apps. So if you make stupid apps and then charge people 99 cents, then they'll pay me money.
3: That's barely true anymore, though. You have to do free and then pay for things. You have to do freemium. Yeah,
1: yeah, freemium. So you have in... In that uh,
2: purchases.
1: Yeah.
0: We can make a freemium podcast app and pay a dollar to listen every 10 minutes. <laughs> 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 insert coin Then you call so what are you working on Pam
1: I'm working on like the app that I've like pondered writing forever which is just a, a scrum well it was going to be the original version of it years ago was I was going to write just like a timer app and then at the end it's, a, it's for timing people when they're talking and at the <laughs> end there's a repeat loop of someone saying please stop I'm bored
2: Uh, That is the Pam app for sure.
1: Yeah, and so I pondered writing this forever, and I tried to do an Android version. Also, writing timers is hard, so it's like one of those things that's like well hard for a beginner, like that it's like using the timer library because you have to deal with time, and so like time is hard. Uh, And so I've had a lot of fun with NS Timer. Uh, and by fun, I mean that there's – because the, the, problem, the problem still with writing Swift, and it's also kind of, you know, I'm, like, both sad. I'm like, oh, man, I'm not, like, a Swift hipster because, you know, there's, just like, plenty of people who, like, were on Swift the second they announced it. So I'm also glad they were, though, because they have lots of blog posts that have been helping me out. So I appreciate the Swift hipsters. But, um, but yeah, the compiler and the IDE for Xcode doesn't always have the most useful errors, like, it'll say, you know, you have an extra argument for this function call, and then point at that argument that, like, is absolutely, like, that's necessary in, in the autocomplete when you put it in the IDE, and it's definitely, like, supposed to be there. It's just an incorrect error from the compiler, or from the IDE. So, I don't know. It, when the IDE does that, is it a compiler error? Yeah, I think so. So it's not. So it is a compiler error, even though it happens before you do a build. Well, so it yes. would be a compiler error. Tried to build, it would be so. a compiler error. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because it's
0: it's, I guess there's multiple stages of compiling. Uh, One of them is checking the the current file and like each file. So I guess when you save, it only need or. I guess, move your cursor or whatever you're doing. I guess it only needs to check that file. It doesn't need to check all files.
1: I think it actually, I think IDs. I feel like it checks all files. Because what it say? needs
0: to know if you're calling a foreign function. If not, Yeah, because it, like, saves,
1: it saves really fast. Like, it, it runs the whole process really fast, but I think I've seen it. But yeah, if you call a function in another file, then it'll raise a flag.
0: Maybe, maybe it only needs to build each file as you change it, so
2: it can, like, use a built other file. Yeah, I think it probably saves up, like, a method cache and some other stuff somewhere. <laughs> We're just pondering how compilers work. I don't know. Does JetBrains have any open source things? Open JetBrains? source editors? Do they? The, the people I don't that know. Make, I uh, feel
1: like it's always like you. if you go to a conference, you can get an open source. Like you can get a free JetBrains license. Oh, no. I was just Although wondering. Although that if was if more could, true a couple years ago.
2: If we could look at how it worked.
1: Well,
0: JetBrains an ID.
2: It's uh, kind of a compiler.
1: But it wouldn't have a compiler in it, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> I think a lot
0: of what they do is they build. to one. Yeah.
1: All
3: I'm saying is, wait, I think wait, Len, are you probably... saying?
1: Wait, wait, were you saying they would have a compiler or not?
3: I mean, they do their own stuff on top of whatever they're building. I think that's kind of their value proposition, right? To like compile things somehow in memory. I don't, we don't know.
1: <laughs> we, i imagine we don't, If you want to learn about, about this, this,
2: you would probably. Well, if you want to look at the about... Java
1: compilation process, I mean, Java is open source. And Can we so- invite
2: someone from JetBrains on the podcast?
0: No, let's stop this conversation. It's terrible. About compilers?
1: <laughs> the IDEs, the but Java IDEs. No, let's talk about things we have no idea about. I think that's exactly what the podcast is supposed to be about. I just
0: want to say, I think if you want to learn about compilers and Things, um, especially Swift, uh, it would probably be a good idea to look at LLVM, which is all open source and probably plenty of articles and books and blog posts.
1: LLVM? That sounds like something that I've had to brew install and sometimes ruins my life.
0: (laughs) So, like Java has the JVM, Swift compiles to LLVM, and that is what runs your Swift Uh. program.
2: There's also LLVM Weekly. Which is like Ruby like, Weekly. Is that sense? really a thing? Yeah. Oh my god. It's, it only comes in text though. All the hot. is
1: <laughs> it's not an HTML email?
0: No. It's, uh, wow. It's a good resource. You subscribe to it? I I do subscribe to it. All that hot new weekly LVM news. Right. Yeah. Like what's
1: happening weekly? I mean, there's a weekly for everything. That can be our <laughs> new gag. We can be over the .js gag and move on to the weekly gag. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so I was actually I'll listening to no, the I,
1: the Waffle Weekly.
0: Waffle Weekly?
1: What? Yeah,
0: yeah. That is also my entire train of thought. I was trying that uh, news reading app, Prismatic, and when you first sign up for Prismatic, it has all these algorithms looking at it, like your Twitter and other stuff to figure out what you're interested in. And it at the time, it was like Ruby, Rails, Programming, Starcraft, Peanut Butter. And I was like, that's me. That's exactly me. I don't know how it got that I like peanut butter, but it did. How
2: how was the Prismatic app?
0: Uh, It was cool, I think. It had a weird scrolling thing. I haven't used it in like two years, so I don't take any of this to be true. Okay, okay. True so anymore. they didn't yeah. build
2: it in Script yet?
0: Uh, The iOS app?
2: Oh, no. I think it's their front-end app. They? Their web app that they rebuilt in Script.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I heard them talking about they use Closure on the back-end and the front-end.
2: Um.
0: Yeah, it was a cool app. Um, I don't use it anymore, though. I'll just impress that I I
2: I like peanut butter. So, Pam, what made you pick that paper?
1: I, you know, I can't quite remember, but there was (laughs) actually a process. So, I think that I was looking for, um, in particular, like, interesting computer scientists. Um, So, Okasaki is very well known for various things. Um, And uh, this was a short paper. And it's also just kind of silly that it's a silly paper. So it's it's actually you know, actually I saw a blog post that's probably like a modern version like I mean this is obviously it goes through like the a more formal kind of proof, but uh there was a a recent post about Python and code golf. But it wasn't I don't think it it probably lost code golf because it wasn't short, but it um it was writing Hello World in Python without print and without um the words "Hello World," I believe.
3: Mm. Oh, so for the topic today, uh, Pam assigned us all homework. It was to <laughs> read this paper: "Flattening Combinators, Surviving Without Parentheses."
1: So the uh, silly premise is that, um, which is obviously like made up, is I just you know I spilled stuff on my keyboard and now the nine and zero keys don't work. Um, I can use nine and zero as numbers, but I can't use parentheses. Um, and so, how do I? Do combinators without parentheses?
2: I wanted that to be real.
1: I mean, maybe it's real. But I don't I like, want to spoil your dreams.
0: Well, then I, I like the other one in section four where he gets another email that says, um, "My roommate he thought he could it. fix my keyboard, so I let him try, but he made it worse. Now it's making a funny burning smell, and only two <laughs> keys work: P and A. So then he tries to make it work with just two letters.
3: Yeah. So
1: can we back and up bad. and <laughs> yeah, yeah?
3: Can we back up and define a combinator?
0: So somebody else want to do this.
1: No, you were going.
0: All right. Uh, so as I understand it, a combinator. So if you look at Lambda Calculus, which are functions with arguments bound in the scope of the function, and all you can do is make functions and call functions, but you can't assign things to names. So there's no way for in the body of a function to refer to the function itself. You can't have a recursive function or a loop in Lambda Calculus. But... There's a thing called a combinator, which I don't fully understand yet. Um, But you basically pass a function into this other combinator function, which will turn your function into a recursive function. Isn't that a Y combinator? So there are many combinators. Uh, The most famous is the Y combinator. Um, I think it's also called a fixed point combinator. Uh, If you want a really cool video of the late, great Jim Wyrick, he gave a talk at RubyConf 2012 called Why Not Adventures in Functional Programming? I'll put a link in the show notes um, where he uses Ruby and, um, like, Ruby's stabby lambda syntax. So he basically writes lambda calculus and spends an hour building up combinators in Ruby using nothing but uh, lambdas. It's a really cool talk. Um... What was the question?
2: <laughs> what is a combinator?
0: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it takes a function and returns a version of that function that is recursive. Um, yeah, I found the link. I'm gonna post it in the show notes. I completely forgot the why they use combinators in this paper. I'm a
3: little lost on the uh, recursive part. I didn't. Think I thought the Y combinator was the only one that was recursive, and other combinators were just like higher order functions. So.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, I think Len might be right. The combinators, that Y Combinator would have that specific use case, that it's, according to Yieldy Wikipedia, a Combinator is a higher order function that uses only function application and earlier defined Combinators to define a result from its arguments. So writing a Combinator is a way of um, simplifying things before use, like, well, simplifying things in a way before using them in logic such that, so that you don't have, like, numbers in your expression
3: so the the functions that get passed in can't have like any closures or any other variables eh. uh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so okay and back up again um the author uses the example of uh reverse polish notation calculator where you push things onto a stack so instead of saying like one plus two you say one two plus And then so if you want to add one and two together and then add three and four together and multiply them, you do one, two plus and then plus will pop the one and two off the stack and result in three. And then you do three, four plus and that will pop three and four off the stack, add them together and make seven. And then you just pass it multiply and then there's two numbers in the stack and multiplies those two numbers together. So it talks about adding, I guess, commands or functions, uh, push and apply. Which push, um, expressions onto the stack and then apply, which, which runs them. Well, a lot of this was about
3: changing the order of like the way messages are sent this is the way I, I was interpreting it. So instead of like when you use parentheses and you'll say like, uh, add parentheses one comma two, uh, then like the messages you're sending to add are going from right to left. And this right. is like one to add. It's going from left to right. And thus you don't need the parentheses.
0: Yeah, I know that was the theme of the paper. But by the time I was done reading this, I completely forgot about that. I was just kind of like bending my mind with this this other way of computing. Um, I don't know if that was the intent or if I just misunderstood the paper.
3: Pam, what did you take out of this paper since this was your homework?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where like I probably understand like 30% of it. But I think that's the only way you get smarter is by doing things that you only understand 30% of. So, hopefully, even though maybe, like, we should probably get heckled on a math podcast for this episode. (laughs) Um, I hope that there's a math podcast centered around heckling. and But I do think, I just think it's interesting. And it's just kind of, you know, maybe I kind of vaguely understand what he's talking about.
0: Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Um, I'm glad that I had spent some time at some point learning church notation and lambda calculus which made what a lot of paper church notation?
1: it puts you way ahead of us
0: <laughs> um, so like the lambda symbol mm-hmm. and then a letter that is a function and an argument and then the dot uh, separates the function arguments and the body so if you wanted a function that took x and returned x you would do lambda x dot x and that is the identity function which he names as empty in um, section 3 3.1 Uh but essentially, like, Lambda Calculus as defined by... Uh, was it Alan Church? Something Church. <laughs> I think it's Alan Church, and I'm only second-guessing myself because I don't believe that both Alan Church and Alan Turing are both named Alan. Uh, but essentially, using nothing but function arguments... And I, I
1: checked I check the internet. It's Alonzo Church.
0: Alonzo Church. Thank you, Pam. Um, the Lambda Calculus, using nothing but... Function definitions and their application, you can compute anything. So, um, <clears throat> there's a concept known as a church numeral, so that essentially, uh, numbers, real numbers, are just nested functions. So, unwrapping them basically uh, subtracts or increments. So, like the number three is three, th- essentially, three trues um, nested together. So, true is a function that takes. Well, it's two functions, um, but it's a function that takes two arguments and returns the second one, or the first one, and then false returns the second one. So think of like an if statement. So you can basically represent all these com- computational like literals, like um, numbers and true and false, and like decisions in code as these functions. But knowing that. It's still very hard to follow this paper. <laughs> Basically, whenever you look at this stuff, if you just see a dot, place it with a parenthesis and a parenthesis at the end of the line, in most cases. I had tried at one point to make uh, a program in the sense of like actually doing real world work using nothing but lambda calculus in Ruby. Uh, I didn't get very far, but I know Corey Haynes did this too. And he got a lot farther. Uh, where So you start from these nothing but functions, and you start making things like true and false, and you start making uh, numbers, and then you start making functions that can uh, you know add or subtract from numbers, and functions that can make lists. And then you keep building these things up until you have enough building blocks that you can actually write a program as we think of it. I, th- I don't know if he was doing like Hello World or Game of Life, but... I think, Jim Weirich also, Life. I think Jim Weirich also had a gist that was um, FizzBuzz using nothing but lambdas. Um, I believe that was called programming with nothing. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just put this link. This is a great uh, read if you want to see how you build up an entire language out of nothing but functions. A language or a program? Uh, both. So, for instance, um, Haskell Haskell compiles into, I believe, something called System F. Which is nothing but a typed lambda calculus. Um, I'm sure it has some other things in there for optimization, but essentially, my understanding is is all of Haskell compiles to
2: essentially a lambda calculus. Is there a difference between the combinator and the combinator pattern? I don't know.
1: Well, good talk about a paper. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what everybody else think? so I no, yeah like I said some... I kind of lost the uh, I guess the goal by the end of like doing the Left versus right applicative. Um, well, any, any and I mean, you, you
1: did you did point out that in the uh, in you know midway through the paper it changed the changed the goal to not only not use uh, or, or to only use the letters P and A.
0: Oh so, yeah.
1: So it did change midway through from because he he got to doing it without parentheses decently fast.
0: Oh, that was another cool part. Yeah, in the uh, section four, that one, um, that email talks about how you can use any you can you can use three combinators to write any program and then actually you can only use two, you can actually just use two if you want because one of the combinators is made by the other two and then somebody else made a combinator that you just have a single combinator and then the other two are calling that combinator two or three times
1: yeah that's actually um in in the book i i think i'm actually just going to buy myself a copy cuz i i keep renewing it from the library and i'm not finishing it i'm about 100 pages into to Usherbach. To but one of the very first things that it does is introduce a a form, like a, a made up kind of formal system of logic or maybe it's not made up um but <laughs> uh but he introduces it like it's you know for that book um and that that did help with kind of understanding this too, of like, that's like what, I guess once you understand what a formal system of logic looks like, and that's why, like, maybe that's, that's also why it kind of made sense to you since you know these other kind of notations that, you know, once you know one formal, formal system, you can understand the other ones.
0: Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I'd like to learn more formal, because I don't have a computer science degree, so I never learned like... Big O notation, or like time complexity, or this might be the same thing. I have no idea. Uh, and lots of times I'm reading papers. Like in this paper, it has the little brackets with the, the ceiling and the floor, which might be what those actually mean. Do you all know what I'm talking about? The uh, I'm trying to figure out where in the paper it is. Oh, in section two at the bottom of the page, he uses square brackets, and sometimes the square brackets have only the top part, sometimes they have only the bottom part.
2: We should look it up um, but is there a, a thing for a paper where so there are lots of things that I didn't know in this paper? I mm-hmm. wanted to like look it up, but then I'd be looking up a ton of things and I should have read the paper earlier. Um, mm-hmm. is there there should be a resource that like common things in papers and these are what these things mean and-
0: I agree because I don't know how to Google for. Square bracket, but only the bottom. (laughs) I guess you could go over that, but it doesn't seem like something would return a result. I can copy and paste this actual character. Um, Yeah, it's amazing.
2: Maybe we should start like a paper IRC where we can just bug each other.
0: I'm sure there's things for that. I've actually had an idea for a while that I wanted to make a website that was like TLDR papers. Or I think that like had papers easily you know categorized and then also showed you dependencies so that it would show you that like to read this paper you should have read these
2: other three you know you should make what poogle poogle like hoogle but for papers
0: <laughs> is not already like a google scholar thing or something
2: well you can type in the symbol and then it'll find it for you and say this is what this means
0: yeah i guess like looking at like even like lambda calculus like how would you know that that thing is a lambda without knowing that it's a lambda you know you can't search for like funny looking H. <laughs> Maybe you could. Um,
1: Did you all check out the the link I dropped for the code obfuscation contest?
0: No, was that?
1: You should actually check it out. I dropped it earlier because I was referencing this uh, this Python thing, and it uh, I it was it's not it's a code golf contest, but it's not really code golf because um, code golf should be as few characters as you can. But there's a contest to create a obfuscated program that prints Hello World um, and string literals aren't allowed. <laughs> what and a... this person uh, put additional restrictions just for fun that it has to be a single expression um, and no integer literals.
0: Is this Python? Yes, yeah, it's Python. Okay. That looks fun.
1: Mm-hmm. And he breaks down how he broke it down, which is interesting because I always appreciate when code golfers do that and break down how they actually did it.
0: I guess, like, one thing you need to overcome is, like, how do you get a letter from a number? And once you can do that, you can just increment things to be whatever letter you want them to be. I think it's pretty much what happened in the programming with nothing uh, post.
1: Well, and in this, it's interesting that uh, they're actually accessing, like, the first thing is getting importing true and then class name and getting so getting the uh, getting letters by a list parsing of class names. As oh, wow. as like an array. Huh. But like it would be like a list in Python.
0: Pam, and reading Gdel Escherbach, do you know what Godel numbering is? Nay. Nay.
1: Nay. I don't think I haven't gotten to it or maybe it's not there. But i like I said, I'm only a hundred pages in and it's some what, 500, 600, 700? I don't even know. I've forgotten. Because I saw the this book, in the paper. It's larger book. than my head. I, know. <laughs> I saw
0: this Godel numbering comment, and I was like, I know what that word is.
1: <laughs> yeah, Godel. Um, but in, in my brief tour of Wikipedia, I saw that uh, Alonzo Church uh, was, I, was famous for the Church Turing thesis, which obviously I had to cook on because of Alan Turing. Um, and they somewhere along that, they mention uh, Godel. Uh, is so, it a- And it's interesting because, you know, I mean, that's, this is why computer science is basically the coolest thing, because it's in the last hundred years, we've figured out some crazy shit. Yeah. And, like, some of it has also been, like, in the case of Godel, it is crazy shit that invalidates, well, not invalidates, but I guess serves as a challenge and... I almost want, like, I know this is, like, kind of more idealistic, but saying, like, it's an expansionary factor. So, because the, the Godel theorem is that in kind of, in this in a, like, in a perfect system, there has to be an expression that cannot exist in the perfect system. Something to that tune. Say that again? That's why it's all about straight. That's why the whole thing about Godel-Escherbach is about strange loops. So, so, in one of the stories that I just read, if there's a perfect phonograph uh then the perfect phonograph can play any sound, including the sound that breaks the phonograph. But then it's not a perfect phonograph because it broke itself, but it is because it can play the thing that breaks itself.
0: <clears throat> so I started Googling around for like uh logic stuff as I read this paper. Mm-hmm. And one of the I should probably have a link to this before I say what I'm saying. Um but one of like the logical fallacies was that if it was like, if this statement is true, then Germany borders China. And that was a paradox because using like formal proofs, you can prove that this statement is true. But then it also like contradicts itself because Germany does not border China. Um, and I pretty much only read enough of it to say that. But that kind of reminded me of what you just said. What are you pro-
1: yeah, the, proving? Yeah, the strange loop kind of thing. That's the whole... So, in the name of, I think the so the Gödel theorem is known as the incompleteness theorem. So, the if looking it up, it's if the system is consistent, it cannot be complete. The consistency of the axioms cannot be proven within the system, which was a groundbreaking challenge to formal a lot most if if not all all formal mathematics was based on only proving things within a certain system, and so there were only a certain number of allowed rules. Hmm. But so the problem is that you can't prove the consistency of the system only using rules within the system. So it's the incompleteness theorem.
0: And the halting problem, right?
1: It's the halt- What's the halting problem?
0: Uh, the halting problem is that you cannot write a program that determines if a program will complete or not. Because I think the issue is that like if you are able to write such a program... Then you could also write a program that specifically avoids the detection mechanism for the program that you wrote, so like you can't you can't ensure that computation will complete um I don't know if I'm describing that great, but it it kind of has like parallels to um So I I heard somebody mention, like uh, I think this was on Understanding Computation, the book. There was a book club in the Ruby Rogues, and the author mentioned that uh, this idea is similar to in engineering. The first thing they teach students in engineering school and college is uh, that you cannot make a perpetual motion machine because it's just not possible. And if you don't tell them that, then they'll spend the first 10 years of their career trying to make a perpetual motion machine. So if you... Essentially, if you know that this, this law exists, that you cannot write a program that can tell if another program completes or not, uh, then you save yourself a lot of time going to rabbit holes that don't have an end. Um, and this is a lot of other parallels, too, in other more real-world scenarios that I can't think of right now. But I don't know if that the halting problem and the completeness theorem are the same thing or not, but they sound related.
1: Oh, no, I mean, I don't think they're the same thing, but I think they definitely are related.
0: Speaking of rules, I like that, uh, where was that last part? Oh, basically, like, talked about proving, so essentially that there's a combinator that you can just apply to itself n number of times, and then eventually you'll get to any other combinator. They basically, he basically proves that that can't be true because if that existed, then it would break all this other stuff. That was section 4.3. Optimality. I don't know, it was a really good paper. I enjoyed reading it. Even though a lot of the stuff is over my head.
1: Yay! Mm. I mean, I was thinking about this. I wonder if I mean, I wonder what academics think of people who aren't academics trying to read these.
0: <laughs>
2: find out. Hopefully, an academic listens to our podcast. I went awesome. to school once.
1: Doesn't make you an academic.
2: I write Python.
0: <laughs> I write Haskell. that makes me a math. Uh, I have a math degree because of that. Do you guys want to do picks? Yes, but I was just gonna say if you have uh, free time and you just wanna full round programming, try to write your own like not write lambda calculus, but use lambda calculus to write something else.
2: Uh, it's a good time. You have to learn lambda calculus first, though.
0: You just need know, need to know how to make a function in whatever programming language you're using, whether it's Ruby or JavaScript, just make a make a anonymous function and then <clears throat> start like assigning those two names like Ident- identity equals lambda x x. Um, there's also a book called Introduction to Functional Programming through Lambda Calculus, uh,
1: which we will- have now like called out on the podcast like three times.
0: Yeah, have we? Uh, and I will say that. Hands re- first. I haven't read it, but if uh, did I read it? Yes, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I only read the Kindle sample, which is essentially introducing lambda calculus.
2: No, you sent me a, you sent me a rental. Oh, a did I? Loner, so you you bought it and read it. Oh, well, cool. You read most of it. So I did read the book then. Great,
0: it's a good book. If you want to learn lambda calculus,
2: then you'd come in every day and show me some Ruby stuff. I'm like, look at what I'm working on. <laughs> <sighs> so
0: yeah, picks. Uh, Len, you go first.
3: Okay, so my pick this week is the book The Martian, uh, which was kind of like gravity, only this guy's stuck on Mars, and he has to do kind of MacGyvery stuff to survive, and nobody on Earth knows that he is uh, abandoned on Mars, and I actually got really addicted to it on Saturday and uh, read it straight through, so it's just kind of like uh, binge-watching, but with a book.
1: Wait, what'd you read?
3: Uh, the Martian by Andy Weir. Uh, it's kind of like Gravity, the movie, uh, but uh, it's about this guy who gets like uh, separated from his crew, and they leave him for dead on on Mars. So, yeah, The Martian. Pam, do you have a pick?
1: Yeah, I'm looking through my Twitter favorites to see if there's something I can pick out. Um, there is. I'll pick a video that I want to watch that I starred. That's um, from from the Frontiers Conference. The video uh, making maps: the role of front end infrastructure at Etsy. Um, about how just like I mean I guess it's I don't know I haven't watched an Etsy video in a while but this is probably all they talk about of how does Etsy deploy so many times a day um, but this is what the what the front end infrastructure team does to help with the build pipeline and uh, stuff like that to also delete code to reduce how big the stuff is so that's the video I I started to watch.
3: Well, cool, uh, Jervon, do you have a pick?
2: I do. Um, music pick slash documentary pick. Uh, I watched this documentary called The Regeneration Music Project. Uh, It's about kind of new school music uh, going back or merging old school music. Uh, So they picked like five popular DJs and those DJs had to uh, basically merge old school music. Uh, So there's classical country, uh, Louisiana style Some other stuff, Um, and also the soundtrack is free on the website that will be in the uh, picks. And then my programming pick is a Vim plugin called Vim Text Objects Ruby Block, and basically it just um, allows you to select Ruby code um, as if they were Vim objects or Vim Text Objects. Um, So you can do like VAR or VIR or CIR or CAR to like delete a block, uh, a method, or do stuff in a method. Um, Yeah. Those are my picks.
0: Justin, do you have a pick? Yes. Uh, I've been browsing different subreddits recently, including CompSci. And there is a set of four lectures I found on YouTube called Proof Theory Foundations. Um, actually, I was going to link to the school's website. I think there's actually Vimeo videos or downloads that are much higher quality. Basically, there's four lectures in which they talk about uh, proofs and... Uh, proof theory and like different branches of computation. And I've only read uh, watched half of the first lecture, but I'm planning to watch all four, and it seems like a really good resource if uh, like me, you didn't go to a computer science program and want to learn about proof theory. Um, So check that out.
1: Len, I have a quick question. Have you read Ready Player One?
3: I got like halfway through it and then started getting a little too campy. (laughs) Why?
1: It was just, it was linked to from that Martian book, and I just remember it being really popular when it came out. And also, like, these books are stupid cheap. Like, it's like $2.50. Yeah, that's and generally And Martian not a good is sound. $3. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, Ready Player One is about this, uh, like, the advancement of the internet to the point where people are basically just playing one massively multiplayer online game. Uh, and the guy who created it died and left control of the world to whoever could uh, figure out this puzzle and there's like all these companies who are like vying to do it and they're like paying people to like try to solve it uh but the puzzles basically are solving like every single like 80s and 90s like a little bit of trivia and nostalgia um and it's written it's a uh, read by will wheaton so it's just like random nerd uh trinkets throughout the book so uh show notes are at turing.cool slash 33 you can follow us on twitter at turing cool and i'll uh, talk to you guys next week
2: Merry Christmas.
3: Happy holidays.
2: Bye. Bye. This show's not releasing before Christmas.
3: Uh, (laughs) Happy New Year. Yeah.